0: Welcome to the Emerging Revolutionary War podcast. Emerging Revolutionary War is a public history platform that explores all aspects of the Revolutionary War with up and coming historians and connects this history to the places where it occurred. We strive to make it fun and engaging for all audiences. We have a blog and website, emergingrevolutionarywar.org, where you can check out frequent blog posts and history articles by numerous historians. In addition to our blog, we are active on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We host an annual symposium that takes place in Alexandria, Virginia, and we now also host Battlefield Bus Tours. We also have the Emerging Revolutionary War book series, published by Savas Beattie. To date, we have four titles out and more on the way. These books offer a brief, readable, and illustrated narrative, and include self-guided tours of the battlefields. So far, we have books on Lexington and Concord, Trenton and Princeton, Monmouth, and Valley Forge. Check them out wherever books are sold. We always offer speakers that can talk about a range of Revolutionary War topics, and our historians have been featured in places such as C-SPAN, American History TV, and Fox Nation documentaries. Make emerging Revolutionary War your home for the 250th anniversary of America's independence. This show is filmed live every other week on our Facebook page, so if you like to watch these live and have an opportunity to engage with us, check us out every other Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody, uh, to this uh, edition of Emerging Revolutionary Wars Rev War Revelry. Uh, tonight's uh, topic, we're going to be covering again the, uh, uh, the 10 Crucial Days time period. Uh, although I think our uh, guest here tonight will make a pretty convincing argument that that 10 days should be expanded slightly to perhaps the 13 crucial days. Um, And we're we're, we're focusing again on this campaign in December and January 1776, 1777, as we prepare for our inaugural uh, bus tour of the Trenton-Princeton Battles. Uh, So if you are interested in joining us, uh, we are almost sold out. I think we only have three or four tickets left. Uh, So if you're interested in joining us, you can find all those details at emergingrevolutionarywar.org. But I do want to introduce our guest tonight to talk about uh, some of the the smaller actions that happened just prior to the battle, the crossing of the Delaware, and the battles of Trenton and Princeton. Uh, and even though these were smaller engagements and lesser known, uh, I think uh, after listening to, to our friend Adam tonight, you'll come away with a, a better idea of how the, the impacts that these actions would have uh, reverberating through the, the following campaign and uh, how you could argue, yes, that these were 13 crucial days. But this is uh, Adam Zielinski, uh who is a good friend of ours, and uh, we've worked with him through the American Battlefield Trust, uh, and he is up in the the New Jersey area, um, and uh, part of some of the local groups up there that are doing some fantastic work to tell these stories, uh, to preserve the sites, uh, to memorialize the sites. Uh, so it's great to have you on here, Adam. Uh, so. Uh, Why don't we go ahead and get started and, 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 uh, yeah, introduce yourself, tell us uh, uh, kind of uh, who you are and what you have been working on, and we can get into some of the the history of December of 1776.
1: All right. Thanks, Mark, for the uh, lovely introduction there. Um, Yeah, I am a uh, historian. I'm currently the uh, Revolutionary War Fellow with the American Battlefield Trust, and um, I uh, am one of many who uh, are currently writing curriculum, uh, K-12 curriculum, and also uh, assisting in just the broader expansion of the trust, um, dive into the educational component. Uh, most people probably know them as primarily saving battlefields, and that is still their main mission, but they've, in the last few years, taken on uh, shifting a little bit towards education, and that's the, the part of the uh, trust that I work with, and it's been a lot of fun, a lot of great people, and um, everybody's just, you know, just learning more and and running with it. So that's that's a great environment to be a part of. Um, and yeah, I've uh, the last uh, eight years, I have found myself continually um, involved in the American Revolution. Uh, it was something I kind of got started in my undergrad, and the more I read about it, the more I realized it was very uh, misunderstood, and it was uh, under taught, in my opinion. And I, um, you know, being fortunate enough to be a lifelong resident of New Jersey, I uh, became more and more aware of our history uh, tied to that time period. And um, my hometown of Mount Holly, which we're going to talk about uh, this evening, uh, has some very uh, unique history that ties directly to uh, the Battle of Trenton. And uh, the you would call it the success of not only that campaign, but potentially the entire uh, war for independence. If we are quoting uh, Hessian Captain Johan Ewald uh, correctly, which I will uh, show at some point this evening. But uh, yeah, it's just been a fun journey. And, uh, you know, I've met you, Mark, I met a lot of other people along the way. And uh, it's just, it's it's really, um, it's a good community of people, particularly when Not everybody is 65 years old, (laughs) and I say that all with love for people of that age and older who love our history, but um, my fascination and interest is really turning uh, the younger generations onto it, and um, so that's really what kind of wakes me up every day and drives me to do what I do, so, yeah. Well,
0: that's great, and that's what we need, yeah, we need to get, uh, yeah, and that's part of what Emerging Revolutionary War is trying to do, get uh, a greater audience to hear some of these stories. Um, So what we're talking about tonight is, yeah, the the Battle of Ironworks Hill, um, and uh, I guess to to set the stage, so to speak, um, you know, it's December 1776, uh, Washington has lost New York, uh, his army is being driven across New Jersey, goes crosses at Trenton into Pennsylvania, Um, you know, it's early December, how is deciding? You know, he's going to you know head back to New York for winter quarters. Uh, in the process, he sets up this post system uh, to try and I guess uh, you know quell the countryside there. Um, and uh, and you know the story usually starts for Trenton around there where he talk we talk about how Colonel Johann Rall and three Hessian regiments are stationed at Trenton. Uh, and of course, Washington, and the story goes, is going to cross the Delaware, attack them and win this great victory. But they weren't the only Hessians over there. Right. So uh, right. why don't you set us up here about what, what's going on in December 1776 in New Jersey around that time?
1: Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, Johann Rall is the uh, Hessian commander uh, at Trenton at the time, but he's actually not the commander of the Hessian units at Trenton. This is actually um, a man by the name of Carl Von Donop. He is actually the forward commander of Trenton. Um, and the British commander in, in charge of New Jersey is uh, General James Grant, who's actually at New Brunswick. Um, but Von Donop is the forward commander of all the garrisons that you just mentioned that kind of string um, westward from New Brunswick all the way to Trenton. And, um, Von Donem finds himself in an interesting position where he has his own force of about 2,400 troops, we think, and Trenton is far too small to encamp the combined forces that Von Donham has along with the the forces that Rawl has. So Von Donem takes it upon himself to move his uh, portion of his forces south to Bordentown, which is about 10 miles south of Trenton along the Delaware River. And von Donov sets up his uh, brigade in Bordentown with kind of an eye of well, I can't fit everybody at Bordentown either, so I'm going to kind of stretch out my forces along the countryside, but they're close enough where you know if we hear a um, if we hear a cannon shot from Trenton, knowing that something's going down, we can you know run right back and uh, reinforce Rawl in case trouble comes. So uh, von Danenb spreads out his forces from Bordentown where he uh, sets up his headquarters. He sets some, um, he sets part of his battalion up at, um, rather part of his brigade up at Crosswicks. And then he sends another uh, portion uh, southward to uh, Black Horse, which is modern day Columbus. And from here, he kind of has a good earshot over uh, the countryside of Burlington County, which at the time was uh, pretty much the seat of West Jersey, if you will, Burlington. Uh, was the uh, seat of uh, West Jersey. Uh, it was the capital of Burlington County. And um, Von Donab actually has his eye on Burlington at this time. And Burlington is just south of Bordentown, for those that don't know. Um, it's about, I think it's about 20 miles from Philadelphia. I have to look that up to be sure, but it's, it's roughly fairly close. And there's American galleys that are patrolling the waters on the Delaware. And They're basically harassing, you know, the Hessians and British parties that are kind of coming in and out of Burlington. And this is, you know, obviously something the Hessians are trying to get rid of because their eye is, well, we're going to we have to get rid of all this resistance if we want to take our big prize, which is no secret, Philadelphia. Come the springtime, once the, the snows, you know, melt and whatnot they're going to take Philadelphia and they're under the assumption that Washington is finished, that his army in Newtown, Pennsylvania is, you know, by all intents and purposes, they're done. Washington himself, at the time is kind of, you know, thinking the same thing himself. You know, there's definitely moments in his correspondence where he's going back and forth with, you know, we're through, but I, I don't want to give up. I mean, he never gives up, but he's definitely battling this internal, you know, conflict of, do I do something? And, you know, reality is reality. And this is the, the situation. So um, but yeah, the um, the Hessians that are south of Trenton, though, they spread themselves out across Burlington County and they're patrolling, they're foraging uh, a little bit here and there. But they're really just kind of prodding the countryside, trying to see, you know, where there is resistance, um, if it does exist. And they're, you know, they're they're running into some pickets uh, and skirmishers here and there, but for the most part, it's it's not a big deal. Now they come into Mount Holly on December uh, 13th, and they come through town. The town has mostly uh, been deserted at this point because of news of the approaching uh, British and Hessians uh, up north, and uh, they kind of get word of, you know, there might be some troops lingering in the area in the countryside, out of out of sight but other than that, no real concern. And Von Donab actually says at this point to one of his subordinates who is Captain Johan Ewald, he's um, uh, captain of the second company of uh, Jaeger uh, uh, Rangers that when uh, this is successful, meaning they take over more of Burlington County, I'm going to award you Mount Holly. So that was already in the works that Mount Holly was going to be given to Ewald as a post for, even more of a spread out, if you will, of taking over New Jersey. So at the same time this is all happening and Von Donab's kind of gallivanting through the countryside, um, a Virginia uh, Colonel arrives in Philadelphia by the name of Samuel Griffin. And, and Philadelphia at the time is Major General uh, Israel uh, Putnam. And he is the Commandant of Philadelphia at the time, essentially military governor of the city. And um, Putnam is under orders essentially from, you know, Washington and and higher ups to uh, arm uh, Griffin with whatever he can and send him into uh, New Jersey and basically just make life miserable for the Hessians. And he gets a, uh, he gets a a, a really like a hodgepodge of whoever's willing to go with them. It's a bunch of Virginian uh, regulars Um, There's a bunch of um, uh, Philadelphia volunteers, and then he basically picks up the rest from New Jersey, which is uh, militia from Cumberland, Salem, and uh, Gloucester counties, all told about 600 uh, militia, roughly. They have, I think, two or three uh, light field pieces, but we also know that over half of their forces are no older than the age of 16, (laughs) Wow. <laughs> so let that sink in. I mean, this is literally an army of teenagers with no military you know, training or discipline whatsoever. And Griffin is taking them into Burlington County to see if he can, you know, harass these Hessians and and see what he can make of them. So so that's the situation that's kind of unfolding uh, into the third week of December 76, while all these bigger events that are about to happen in the next week or so. Um, are still in the very early phase of, of gestation, if you will, because Washington still hasn't committed to attacking Trenton. He's still on the fence. You know, he knows he's got to do something because he realizes you know, more than half of his soldiers' enlistments expire at the end of the year, that you know, the, what remains of the Continental Army is literally going to walk away. He gets word that obviously Charles Lee's been, um, that he been taken prisoner, um, but also he's going to receive reinforcements from Gates and a couple other people. So there's a lot of moving parts here that kind of all have to fall into place for Washington to really be able to do something. And it's still very uncertain at this at this point. But um, as we'll get into in a few minutes here, this, um, this small band of 600 mixed units uh, under Griffin in Burlington County, uh, Washington takes an interest in them and takes an interest in what they possibly could do uh to really resolve his situation uh leading up to trenton yeah
0: yeah no i mean i think you know, when you talk about yeah what the the situation washington is in and when he writes about you know you talk about yeah and his dispatches writing he thinks the game is pretty near up uh to his uh, family members and stuff i mean uh it is a dire situation um but yeah, and you're right, and, and I feel like in, in a lot of narratives, you, you hear about Charles Lee being captured, you hear about his army disintegrating on, over in Pennsylvania. Uh, but yeah, this, this Griffin force, I think, is often overlooked, uh, but they're going to, um, and I think it's fascinating. I didn't know that, yeah, that most of them were as young as they were, um, but, uh, but it's pretty interesting. So they, they send them over in New Jersey just to try and um, harass the, the Hessian uh soldiers that are there in the countryside. And the Hessians also have like a pretty bad reputation, you know, for plundering and looting uh in the countryside there, which I don't think is earning them any friends uh in the area for sure.
1: We will uh uh, we will touch on that when we get to the identity of the widow of Mount Holly, but we'll we'll wait to that part of the story uh when that unfolds yeah I'm excited
0: about that part. So yeah we'll we'll circle back (laughs) to
1: that part about the Hessians because I have a theory, we have a theory that that might play into why her identity is still unknown. So, yeah. oh,
0: interesting. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, they they have a, you know, and you can imagine also, yeah, just the the Hessians in general have a, a pretty fearsome reputation, uh, whether it's warranted or not. I mean, they're definitely feared uh, for uh, their, their their combat at, in New York, um, and uh, and is that also a reason? You know, I, I've heard like that uh, this 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 forward post. Uh, the, of Donup's Hessians and stuff like that is that it part of that was um, was because of their um, having served so bravely at Fort Washington and other yes. parts of the campaign that they were kind of given the the tip of the spear there, as he said. Uh, kind of the, the front post there uh, waiting during the winter before that spring campaign when they can finally take Philadelphia, so.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Von Donop was awarded that position specifically for his actions at, um, in, in the New York campaign. And, um, and just to piggyback off that too, his, um, his arrogance, <laughs> to, to not overuse a word here, but is also the arrogance of the British at the time, and they, you know, they are the biggest, baddest army in the world at the time, playing by all the military rules of the age. They think they have this thing won. They think it's, it's a slam dunk and mm-hmm. that this Mr. Washington is done. So they have really no respect for him. we know Johann Rahl doesn't think anything of the Americans. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, any... Any uh, correspondence that he's receiving, in Trenton, he's just kind of dismissing outright, like, eh, I don't care. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there is this, there is this mode of arrogance amongst the the soldiers there, and we're going to see it in von Donham's decisions uh, in the next few days. But we're also going to see it called out by Ewald, though, which is kind of interesting because he really, you know, and and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a sec. But you know, Ewald really is kind of like the counterweight to all of these really poor decisions that von Donov ends up making. And we only know about it because of Ewald's diary, which was discovered in 1979. Mm -hmm. Before that, we were all only going on, you know, 19th century assumptions of what took place here. Mm -hmm. And because of Ewald's diary, we know now that a lot of these assumptions were based in fact. So it really just completely upended all of these 19th century uh suspicions that kind of you know downplayed all these events but now we know like no no no, something actually happened here you know we're not saying it was this big but like clearly things happened here that were really uh important and vital to these bigger events yeah
0: yeah no and i I think that in that source eval's diary is uh fantastic and it's published now and you can actually get copies of it and it's it's fantastic because he's yeah he he keeps Uh, awesome records. And then also, you know, just the everywhere he saw from not only New York campaign and New Jersey, but then also even Southern campaign later in the war. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic resource, but you're right. You know, for, for how many years not having that, that other side of the story uh, is, uh, is pretty crucial.
1: It was a big missing piece Uh, of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's great. Um, All right. So, so what's going to happen then after, uh, the, the hessians are out here what's griffin gonna do to uh to to either try and you know how is he making it their life miserable is he being successful is he going to be able to lure them away from uh and it, you know and we can get to this at, at some point but you know what's the coordination also like between his force and what washington's doing on the other side of the delaware yeah um, absolutely. interesting to know yeah how much you know because yeah washington's keeping an eye is that gonna influence any of his plans and stuff like that so
1: right all right i'm gonna share my screen uh with the audience here just to uh i have some maps and some um things to go along with it here good to go
0: oh yeah looks great oh.
1: okay cool so as we said like you know this is uh, a map in new jersey and the garrisons if you will marked in red and we like to call them a spear, if you will. And the spear is facing their objective, which is Philadelphia. And the tip of the spear is Trenton, as you can see on this map. Now, these are some of the garrisons that are positions, rather, that Von Donham has at Bordentown, Crosswicks, and Black Horse. And then I have uh, further down, you see Mount Holly uh, in a blue dot, which will represent Griffin. I'll skip this quote real quick this is from uh captain ewald so the first <clears throat> so how this begins is on december 21st griffin's forces come into mount holly they had um they had originally come into haddonfield and then they made uh their essentially their headquarters at morristown which is a stone's throw away from mount holly and on the 21st they come into mount holly They build uh, a series of uh, entrenchments, rather, on a spot called uh, Ironworks Hill, which is just south of the Rancocos Creek. And uh, at the time, it was the site of an ironworks, hence its name. Hmm. Um, It's currently the site of uh, St. Andrew's uh, Cemetery. There was a church on the hill at the time. Um, And um, so the Americans under Griffin built a series of entrenchments on the mount. We think they also built, or rather on the hill, we think they also built a series of entrenchments on the mount itself, uh, which is just north of uh, the center of town, which you'll see in a sec on another map here. Um, I'm basically just setting everything up for you. And um, so on the 21st, uh, Griffin's uh, men are doing this, and we think a detachment of them actually proceed north along the Slabtown Road into Slabtown, which is modern day Jacksonville, and just further beyond that, at a crossroads called Petticoat Bridge over the Assacombe Creek, which is essentially the center point between Slabtown and Blackhorse, which is where the southern detachment of von Donop's forces were stationed at the time. So right here on the 21st, we get the first engagement of this phantom army that von Donop had heard about a few days before. But he had heard that it was a force of 3,000 troops, which obviously is not true. We don't know, you know, if it was deliberate misinformation or if it was just, you know, secondhand, which was equally possible. But it was obviously an in a- inaccurate information. Nevertheless, Vondana is aware that there's some, you know, there are Americans in uh, American forces in the vicinity somewhere. On the 21st, a small portion of these. You know, uh, troops run into his forces at the Petticoat Bridge. They pull out. We only know about this because the next day, Von Donner passive, uh, passingly writes about last night there was a skirmish with a few uh, enemy uh, troops. So we know something took place here. But on the following day, on the 22nd, a second skirmish takes place at Petticoat Bridge. And this was much larger. This was almost a full scale engagement. Again, we're we're basing this off of very sketchy historical information, so we're, we're trying our best not to presume. Um, but it seems, based on Ewald's diary and a couple of other uh, firsthand accounts, that there was a couple hundred of Americans involved in this. So whether it was the full size of uh, Griffin's force or most of it, um, we're not sure. But we do know that a large force of Americans uh, attacked the guardhouse that overlooked the Petticoat Bridge on the 22nd around two o'clock. And this sent uh, the Southern portion of Von um uh, forces at Black Horse into, a, you know, into a, a, a frizzy. They sent off their signal cannon. Von Donub had, um, he was at Bordentown at the time. He heard the signal cannon go off. So he comes racing to uh, Black Horse. At the meantime, as I ha- show you on this map, uh, Ewald is actually at his post at a place called the Bunting House, which is a couple miles west of Slabtown. And he hears all this commotion going on in his rear. And at the same time, a, a small skirmish breaks out between his post and a bunch of unknown Americans too. So he's taken on this and then he fights them off and he comes back to Black Horse to report you know, what he just went through. And based on these two interactions, Von Donop now decides with the encouragement of um, Sterling, one of his uh, battalion uh, chiefs, that this rumor of a 3,000-man American force is true. Like, this is definitely, you know, this is plausible now. There's definitely an enemy force present right over the hill somewhere towards Mount Holly, and Von Donup again, we're going back to use that word arrogance. Um, I don't know if it's full arrogance, or if it's just under the assumption that, hey, we're a good match for him, is what kind of what he said. He decides on his own that he's going to take the fight to Griffin's force. Now, where the historiography really um, has uh, historically gotten it wrong is that it's usually written that Griffin uh, was sent in to be a diversion, to purposely lure Von Donup further south from Bordentown. Now, through our research, we find that that is not true. Von Donop decided to move on his own. It was just coincidental that that is what Washington ultimately wanted uh, Griffin to do. Mm. But the, the wheels were already in motion based on what the Hessians had decided to do. So it was just a happy coincidence that that was the initiative that Von Donoff decided to, uh, to undertake.
0: One of uh, many happy coincidences that <laughs> happened during uh, this campaign. So. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. So, um, so early. Um, all right. So on the evening of the 22nd, uh, Joseph Reed, who is uh, George Washington's uh, adjutant general at the time. Um, he's in correspondence with Griffin in New Jersey, and he sends word to Washington about what's going on in Burlington County with Griffin's force. And the first uh, quote here I have is the letter from Reed to Washington on December 22nd. And the last uh, sentence I have highlighted here, and Griffin, or rather, uh, Reed basically tells Washington that, you know, we should support Griffin, and that if we can coordinate with him with this upcoming big attack you have planned on Trenton, that this could be another phase of that giant attack on New Jersey that just completely obliterates this forward posting of the the British last, you know, Hessian um, command in New Jersey. And Washington writes back, as you see in the bottom here, that he's encouraging Reed to reach out to Griffin, and that he wants Griffin to be a part of it. He's totally bought into this idea. He's like, please coordinate with him and use him as the southern attack, if you will, the the, the southern spear of our attack on New Jersey. And um, Washington also reaches out to uh, John uh, Cadwallader, who's going to be uh, given the command of the southern uh, approach of uh, Washington's giant plan to cross the Delaware and attack Trenton on three folds. And Cadwallader is given uh, the assignment of coming over from Bristol, Pennsylvania into Burlington County and basically closing off uh, the southern retreat from Trenton uh, in case anybody gets out. Um, that's usually the story that we're told anyway but I don't have it here but if you actually read the correspondence between Reed, cadwallader and Washington and these critical few days here right before Trenton Washington's telling cadwallader that I need you to meet up with Griffin and I need you to take the fight to these Hessians in Mount Holly I mean he specifically says Mount Holly several times so Washington's like pretty clear that his eye is where it is, and that he wants there to be a, a, a major engagement at Mount Holly to coincide with his, uh, his attack on Trenton. Okay, so now we're on to the morning of December 23rd. As I just said, uh, Von Donip has decided on his own that he's going to move his forces at Bordentown, Crosswicks, and Black Horse, combine them, which we think is about 2,400 in total, And he's going to move south and attack Mount Holly and rid himself of this uh, this rebel force in waiting. Um, As I have here, the rumors of a 3000 man army are not true. Obviously, Griffin only has 600 and uh, Vondana, we think, has about 2400, give or take. So they meet for a third time in three consecutive days at Petticoat Bridge. Um, We know this time that there was only a handful of Americans. It was not the same amount that was there the previous day. We're going to estimate and say it was probably no more than 50 to 100. And when they came down the Petticoat Bridge Road, which is illustrated in this map uh, from 1778 by British uh, Lieutenant John Hills, um, when they came down the road uh, on the 23rd, they found Von Donemps entire army marching at them. So, you know, whether it was 50 or 100, it didn't matter. They were facing a humongous army in comparison to what they had. So they we know they fired at least one round, they checked the initial advance. And then as soon as the Hessians regrouped and returned fire, the Americans broke, it, it, it wasn't there was no fight. It was just one volley. And that was it. We know there was more Americans in waiting at slab town on the morning of the 23rd. And as soon as the, uh, the Ford Americans came running back, everybody broke and started retreating. So it was a very disorganized retreat. We also think this is why when you read uh, uh, von Dona, but especially Ewald's account of uh, the ensuing battle here, he kind of breezes through this part of the day's uh, battle. And it makes sense because why would he include any detail about a disorganized retreat of the Americans? You know, it's, it's you know, there's no, there's no reason to, because it's, it serves no importance for him or for them, because to them, they were just marching straight through.
0: (laughs) They've seen it for a few weeks already. Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) They were not impressed with, they were, that they were coming up against. Um, So this is a continuation of Hills's map. Uh, This shows further uh, down um, from Slabtown, uh, and you can see Mount Holly in the, uh, the bottom left-hand corner and this shows the retreat of uh, both armies uh, using the Slabtown Road to get back into Mount Holly. Um, If you read Ewald's uh, diary, he indicates that as they approached uh, Mount Holly, they came across a hill with a church on it. Now we know using uh, topographical uh, maps from the 20th century that um, he actually misidentified where he was looking. Um, Hills actually marks on this the church that Ewald's talking about. This is actually um, an old, this is the original rather meeting house from Mount Holly. Uh, today, there's a cemetery uh, still present. Uh, this maps from 1947, I believe. And I've indicated in white where the old road used to be. Nonetheless, the Mount is still present in the bottom um, portion of this map and is still present to this day. So when the Americans came running back in the town, They took up the position on the high ground, which of course would be the mount. And this is what the mount looked like uh, from a 1905 postcard. Um, And we're pretty sure this is probably very similar to what they saw uh, in the late 18th century, considering it was very underdeveloped at the time. It was wide open. There was little vegetation or trees. Um, So it's easy for it's easy to understand why Ewald would have, you know, probably misidentified because it was hilly coming up. And when he saw the church and then saw the mount behind it, he just didn't correct his journal. So we'll forgive him for this. <laughs> and this is more of what Ewald writes um, talking about their approach. And he specifically talks about how on approaching the, on their approach to the mount, rather, Von Danup decides to uh, split his forces into three uh, different columns to envelop the mount. Now, why would he do that? unless he assumed there was a sizable force entrenched on the mount. If it was only 10 guys, he would not be doing such a maneuver. But again, because of the intel that he was, you know, thinking that was correct, he decides to divide his entire force to envelop the mount. So we have, you know, maybe 50 to 100 Americans on the mount and we have this entire Hessian brigade that's getting ready to <laughs> literally lay siege to it. It's not a long battle. The Americans fire, we think, maybe you know a volley or two. And what ensues is a running, um, a running battle through High Street, which is downtown Mount Holly. And this is how, uh, if you are familiar with Ironworks Hill Day, which is a reenactment uh, the town has every year, um, for a long time, they actually did reenact this part of the battle where you had soldiers running chasing each other right down you know downtown Mount Holly and this is where that part of the story comes from because we know for a fact that that's what happened basically the the forty second highlanders chased <laughs> chased the sixteen year old militia Americans uh through town and um, and all the way back to the Ironworks Hill again on the south side of the Rancocas Creek. So the Americans they uh, they take the entrenchments that they had dug on the 21st. Meanwhile, the Hessians uh, position their artillery on the mount, also on a small bluff to the east of uh, downtown Mount Holly, and they just pound uh, Ironworks Hill for the rest of the evening. There's no resistance by over you know by mid evening overnight. But Americans hadn't retreated from the initial uh, uh, run through town. They were gone. They left to Morristown. So the Hessians at this point have Mount Holly. It's it's completely theirs. Ewald has his garrison, if you will. <laughs> um, and we know through Ewald's uh, journal, um, he estimates they have about 200 prisoners. So if that is the case, that's a third of Griffin's original force. Um, which says a lot, which says that there was not much of a fight and that whatever organization these guys had was was very disorganized. And um, so from here, we have to also, um, unfortunately, I have to backtrack just a slight bit, but not too much. So while all this is happening, Colonel Griffin is taken ill and he writes about it uh, in his uh, rather, Reed writes about it that he's uh, taken ill. Uh, Cadwalder writes about it to Washington. And so this is happening. Washington's, you know, planning all these things for Trenton. And he's got this one kernel of hope that maybe this Griffin and this situation around Mount Holly can be a real thorn in the, you know, in the boot of, uh, of uh, the Hessians. What he's not aware of is that Griffin becomes incapacitated. And um, our speculation is that this plays into the disorganization of his mixed units. And um, in the correspondence between Reed and Washington uh, on the 24th, Reed basically tells Washington that Griffin is, he, he's in, he, he can't command his force anymore. Basically, somebody else needs to. And you can see in Washington's letters back to Reed, he hasn't given up on Griffin. He keeps insisting that, you know, like, no, 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 like if Griffin can't do it, maybe we can send Cad Wilder in there or send somebody else in there. Washington is so focused on not losing this potential, um, you know, this potential um, uh, foot hold in Burlington County that He's willing to uh, really devote a lot of writing to, you know, trying to save face of this deteriorating situation. And, um, and but he it's has not to. Yeah, yeah, go
0: ahead. Well, I mean, his army itself only has a few thousand guys. Right. Anyway, uh, The fact so that he's desperate for
1: anybody. Of... Right. Right. <laughs>
0: Correct. I mean, that's a that's a sizable. Force putting up resistance. I'm sure he has, uh, yeah, wants to see them be successful in some way. So,
1: <laughs> right, right. So, and here's another, uh, this is an unfinished map I've done of uh, Mount Holly, and this shows all the houses and everything from uh, 76, but it just shows uh, how the Hessians had spread out over the town. Um, you can see the Americans in the uh, bottom uh, corner there on Ironworks Hill and how they make their exit. And um, so, Vandana another map I did. So, um, so Von Donna decides to stay in Mount Holly. He doesn't go back to Bordentown and we don't really know why. And there's, very, there's several specula- speculations why, and we have a really good understanding why, and that comes in the identity or uh, mysterious identity of a widow. And um, we don't unfortunately know who she is, and she only is written about in two, I think it's only in two journals. One is Ewald's and the other is by a woman named Margaret Hill Morris. She, she was a resident of Burlington. And uh, she only kept a very brief diary during December of 76, convenient for uh, our purposes. And she's writing um, She's writing a, and as I said, from Burlington, where there was a lot of uh, interest in monitoring the uh, the ships and galleys on on the river at the time, she was writing of how the Hessians and Americans were interchangeably coming and going in town every day, and she she was um, offering t- serving tea rather to Hessian officers at one o'clock in the afternoon, and then. Colonel Reed and Cadwalder at four o'clock in the afternoon. So she was literally, you know, whining and dining both sides. Um, So we don't really know where her loyalties lie, but she passively gives reference that on the 20th of December, before all these events take place, that there is a, a, a woman of our acquaintance in Mount Holly when everybody else in town had seemingly abandoned the town. So she specifically calls out some lady that stayed behind. And then we get Ewald's diary that basically says flat out that uh, von Donop was uh, enchanted by the uh, b- this beautiful young widow of a doctor. And Ewald does not give a name to this woman, but um, von Donop decides to uh, spend the next three days quartered with this woman. Uh, we do know that Von Donob was injured uh, during the day's events. We don't know how, but he took a head wound at uh, some point during the day. So he decided that he needed to rest up for three days, and he picked this uh, fair lady to uh, be his acquaintance. Um, so coupled with this, and also, as I said, Mount Holly was completely abandoned at the time. But thanks to Ewald, once again, we know that Mount Holly's liquor supply had not been abandoned. It was fully in stock. So it was not the Hessians at Trenton getting drunk on uh, Christmas. It was the Hessians at Mount Holly that were getting drunk. Um, and as I said earlier, Vondana, he was unable to, um, his, his forces were unable to encamp together. They had to spread out very thinly over the countryside because there were so many of them. And these small hamlet towns were, t- were just too small to, um, you know, to accommodate a-, a force of his size. Mount Holly, on the other hand, was the first town that could accommodate everybody. So, given the fact that they had liquor, they had, you know, just supplies. The weather was, you know, crappy. It had snowed on the evening of the twenty-fourth, and von Danab was in great company at the moment. There was no reason for any of these guys to want to leave there was no and again the arrogance they they did not really think that anything bad was going to happen except for Ewald he writes about saying don't talk don't take this Washington guy for granted if I know him he's desperate meaning he's liable to attack because of desperation and sure enough Ewald was proven right and I include this quote here from uh, Ewald where he says in his diary specifically that the entire loss of the 13 colonies can be rested on Colonel Donna, who was led by the nose to Mount Holly by Colonel Griffin and detained there by love. (laughs) So, uh, so we know how Ewald felt about the entire situation. And, and apparently, uh, it, it, Apparently, Vondana also had some feelings about it afterwards. Um, so anyway, uh, December 26th comes uh, and Washington obviously attacks Trenton. cadwallader never makes it across uh, the Delaware. So Washington, as we know, his three-prong attack is only a single prong, which is his uh, portion of the Army. And it never was meant to be that Mount Holly would be included because cadwallader never showed up. Um, but that being said, uh, news re- uh, news reaches Mount Holly and, um, you know, they find out that Trenton's lost. They immediately, uh, leave in the afternoon. They report back to, uh, Bordentown and then the Trenton and immediately, you know, inquiries are made, you know, what happened? Why weren't you, where are you supposed to be? Von Donham gave a cover story that, you know, they were in Mount Holly, uh, trying to, uh, you know, gain petitioners to the king and cause and that it was all about a recruitment, you know, uh, campaign. And no mention, of course, of any widow that he, uh, that he <laughs> fell uh, and, <laughs> and, and fancied with. But um, yeah, so all this takes place and von Donham's reputation is completely destroyed. You know, as you said, like he was given this forward command because of his, you know, heroics, if you will, during the New York campaign. now his reputation's in in shambles and Ewald writes in his diary that, you know, the troops under him are all kind of running their mouths saying like, you know, like, hey, you really, you know, you really blew it. Like we, we really shouldn't have been down there, you know, the way we were just kind of, you know, just going about things. So a year later, Von Donop leads a disastrous charge at the Battle of Red Bank. And he's killed I mean, He's mortally wounded and he dies. And he's, he's actually one of the only off, I think he's the only officer buried on the battlefield. Um, and, um, so he tried to reclaim his reputation by leading this, you know, this charge, which was, you know, obviously foolhardy. And he was, you know, he, he didn't survive. So he was aware himself that he blew it and that his reputation had taken a hit. And, um, does he,
0: uh, a- a- after this uh, campaign? I mean, well, after Trenton, as you said, he goes up to Trenton, and then is he going to be involved at all in when Cornwallis comes down eventually for the second battle of Trenton or the, the battle of Princeton or was he? Kinda- I should know
1: that offhand. I-, I-, I know he was. I know he was there. I don't think he was. I don't think he was any of the four to uh you know battle um hmm. either on the second battle of Trent uh, Trenton rather. And I, I know, obviously, he wasn't involved at Princeton. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, the interesting thing about all of that is um, going back to uh, Washington and his, um, you know, his correspondence with Cadwalader and, um, and Reed and Griffin and it's really interesting if, and I, I, encourage everybody. I mean, you can go on founders uh, online and, and read the correspondence. I mean, it's, it's clear as day Washington, as we were saying, like, because he's so desperate because he has so few men and he realizes what, what's at stake here, you know, he's willing to try anything, you know, he's like, just throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. And that's mm-hmm. kind of his mentality with, you know, this idea of attacking Von Vondana in Burlington County. And Based on what my group uh, is uh, currently researching and has researched, we really think that had the Americans not attacked Petticoat Bridge on December 22nd, and had they waited two days for reinforcements, there probably would have been a major engagement against von Donem's forces around Mount Holly, around Christmas. Hmm. But because the Americans attacked on the 27th. Remember Griffin was, as I said, he was incapacitated. We don't even know if he was commanding his troops at the time he could have been laid up in bed somewhere. We don't know. Um, and we know again, his forces, they did have Virginia regulars. They had some artillery, but it was mostly militia and Philadelphia volunteers who again were very young. So there was very little discipline in the force. If they, if they attacked on the 22nd and they hastily decided to attack and then they were driven off and then they decided, well, our commander's not feeling well, we just kind of got our butts kicked. Maybe we're, maybe, you know, we've done all we can do. You can see morale start to kind of disintegrate by the 23rd. And then by the 24th, morale's completely disintegrated. And Reed actually attested this in a letter to Washington saying Griffin's forces are in shambles. And Washington's like, no, 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 you got to hold it together. And Reed's like, I'm telling you, like, there's not much left to hold together. And that's why Washington's like, you got to, you know, catwall or get in there. Do somebody go in there and salvage this thing. And so anyway, had the Americans waited two days and not attacked Petticoat Bridge on the 22nd, they might have had those reinforcements because there would have been more of an initiative to get those reinforcements over before morale had, you know, plunged and their forces had deteriorated on their own so it's really a matter of what ifs you know it it, it could have really played into washington's fact or ra- rather Washington's um plan of attack there and um who knows what would have became of von Donham's forces there um, if,
0: uh, if von Donap was back up at a uh, boarding town uh would he be able to uh reinforce Trenton that morning, then that could have potentially, you know, changed that course of history there too, right?
1: I think so, yeah, Um, and as you know, I mean, you've you've written a nice book about this. Um, Trenton was, um, you know, Trenton had many factors working in the Americans' favor, and I think artillery played a huge factor in it because, you know, obviously firing a musket in those weather conditions was nearly impossible. But the fact that the Americans had a a tremendous, um, you know, a tremendous amount of artillery considering they only had a couple thousand, you know, troops with them is, I think that's really played a, a decisive factor. So I don't know how that would have played into more reinforcements, you know, from the Hessian side of things. It certainly would have made it a lot more interesting. I want to give the Hessians the advantage because they had more they would have had more, you know, infantry. Um, but yeah, it it just, the fact that they were not present, uh, at Bordentown, it really, um, it made Washington's, uh, victory that much easier. And I hate to say it that way, but it's, it's the truth, you know?
0: Fascinating. Um, well, yeah, no, this is, this is great. You know, I think this is, uh, um, oh yeah, if you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about what you guys uh, are doing to commemorate the site today, so yeah, what's there today, um, and, uh, yeah. and what are you guys doing to to enhance that?
1: So, um, so this is a drawing I did uh, back in April. Uh, the group I'm with is the Rev War Alliance of Burlington County, and we're just a, um, a bunch of local historians. Uh, we're not a, um, you know, as I tell people, we're not politically affiliated. Uh, you know, we're, we're literally just a bunch of historians and we're just focused on interpretation and, and doing, you know, history and, and doing the education side of things. And um, so there was a monument, a marker put rather um, on Ironworks Hill at the uh, Bicentennial in 76. And that is represented in this sketch by the flagpole. And what you see below it is a stone marker. And um, this is all owned by St. Andrew's Cemetery and Church uh, in Mount Holly, and uh, we discussed with them <clears throat> back in the spring the idea of you know for the upcoming two fiftieth, um, you know why don't we do something to really enhance the visitor experience and really draw attention to you know what unfolded here and what we just discussed for the last you know hour, and um, they liked the idea, so this was just a uh, a composite sketch of if you will, the throwing everything at it, the the kitchen sink and every every idea that a dream, whatever you wanna call it, um, that we could think of to really enhance it. Um, So what we're focused on right now is doing phase one. Um, And I just wanna be very clear, phase one is just going to be uh, reading boards, interpretive signs. And uh, we're gonna do park benches, um, some rail fencing, and a new uh, flagpole, and that is it. So we did a, uh, a GoFundMe campaign back in June and we raised some money. Um, those, uh, those affiliated with your uh, viewing audience and members who donated, thank you so much. That was uh, tremendous. Uh, we are much obliged and grateful. Um, we haven't forgotten about you, don't worry. <laughs> Um, We are just um, working out final details uh, with the cemetery. And um, I know, uh, you know, there's an issue right now with supply shortages. And um, so gathering some of the materials is just taking a little bit longer than we had anticipated, but it's still going underway. And we're hoping that we're hoping that within the next month we can have uh, the majority of it done. Uh, I know the interpretive signs are going to probably be done by the end of the year. so this is gonna be something that will be visibly uh, present um, as we get closer to the 250th. And um, if the community really buys into it and there's a lot of um, positive feedback and whatnot, then we'll talk about perhaps adding to it, which is represented here by, you know, maybe a, uh, a, another uh, obelisk or a, a monument of some kind, maybe a, a cannon. To represent the artillery, you know, shelling. Um, but we are going to do, um, we are going to do some interpretive signs around town that are going to uh, discuss the widow, uh, who she might have been, and um, also uh, some signs talking about Ewald, uh, showing some of his maps that he did while in Mount Holly in 76. And, um, and yeah, just really, you know, just opening the story up to everybody and just saying, like, listen, like, we're by no means experts, we're just interested, and we're historians, so we're trying to apply the expert lens to things, but this story's for everybody, you know, if you're interested in it, and it, it, you, it's, it, you know, you're drawn to it, there's plenty of research that still needs to be done to really um, try to discover some of these individuals, and um, particularly the widow, um, you know, she, you know, she's, she's the linchpin in the whole story I mean she really is the centerpiece and um it's it's awesome that it come it came down to a woman you know I guess I when I tell this story to people uh complete strangers particularly women and I tell them that they they smile every time like that's unbelievable I'm like it really is it's just unfortunate we don't have a name to go with it and hopefully someday we can fix that yeah
0: I got to say, it reminds me, uh, my guy friends are going to get on me for this, but me and my, my wife is a big fan of the, the TV show, The Gilmore Girls, uh, <laughs> and uh, in this TV show, it takes place in a fictional New England town. They do a reenactment every year of a Revolutionary War battle. Part of that uh, reenactment was a story almost identical to this story, where there's a widow who... Uh, in this story she's a you know patriot spy who who kept the british uh, uh you know kept in in that town or whatever so i think it's uh it's a fascinating story that there's actual some some truth to a story similar uh to that that, that occurred uh, uh yeah the revolution there at mount holly and i think that's fascinating and did you say do they did so do they do a reenactment every year of the battle is that something that they've stopped doing or is that something that, that people would be able to do you, do you have any information about that, about...
1: No, um, so it's typically on the second Saturday of December every year.
0: Oh, okay. um,
1: Great. I know this year, it's there's I, I'm 90% sure they're doing it. Um, I know there's still discussion on just the logistics of everything. Um, if you yeah. go, I know Mount Holly's website, Mount Holly, New Jersey, um, they will definitely post information on uh, their main webpage. Also, if you look up the Burlington County Lyceum, um, it's a natural science uh, and history lyceum. Um, they pretty much run uh, Ironworks all day, so they will have information available uh, when it comes. You know, when they figure out um, the logistics. But um, yeah, it's you know, it, it's a lot of a lot of history in this town. It's it's great. You know, we can tie it all to, tie it all back to uh, some big events there.
0: Yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it shows you the importance of that uh, local history um, component, uh, the, the stuff. Uh, d- yeah, it doesn't get as top billing as Trenton and Princeton, but as you see from what Ewald said and other things like that, I mean, you just see, like, the, the smaller actions, you know, and also the, you know, um, the actions of women and, and other people involved, you know, have reverberating effects, uh, so it's kind of neat to to try and learn more about that and then uh, to try to tell that story uh, through different means. Now, if people want to know more about your RevWar Alliance uh, about this, uh, how can they, you know, follow you guys? How can they learn more? Uh, Do you guys have a website or anything else like that?
1: Sure. Um, The best way to follow us um, is on Facebook. Uh, You can just follow uh, RevWar Alliance of Burlington County uh, and should come right up. And um, yeah, we're uh, regularly posting things on there about what we're doing. Um, if, you're a, uh, if you're a resident of the area, we're always taking new members <laughs> and trying to uh, just expand our network. And uh, you know, again, just general interest. If, if, you know, and as I tell people all the time, if the Rev War is not your thing, I totally get it. I, I, I understand, it's, I'm not insulted by that, but I'm sure there's some aspect of history that you do find interesting. And I always say, like, well, that's where we can find common ground and maybe work, you know, work for each other. And it's like, if, if you can buy into what I have, maybe I can help you out and buy into what you have. So um, that's my approach anyway. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And, yeah, like I said, that, that area of New Jersey and uh, Pennsylvania is just, you know, New Jersey's the crossroads of the revolution. You have so many different important events happening there. Uh so it's, yeah great you get to live up there uh and we are anybody who's interested again in, in visiting that like I said we got four tickets left uh on the bus tour that's happening November 12th through 14th so coming up here less than a month um so we hope to see some of you there um otherwise uh thank you Adam for for coming on this evening and educating us all about these uh the important 13 crucial days uh right. at December, 1776 and, uh, and and tune in uh, with us at two more weeks uh, on Halloween. Uh, we're going to be having some guys talking about uh, uh, some spooky Hessian stories. Uh, probably the most famous, the headless Hessian, the headless horseman. Uh, we'll probably talk some about uh, uh, the, the popular culture that's kind of come from the, uh, the Hessian experience here in America. So... But thank you
1: for tuning in and uh, yeah, we'll see you all in a couple of weeks.